Krishna so it's John Mustami, September 5th, 2015, in Hawaii. And I thought we'd do a little reading from Ananda Vrindavan Champa. We heard a lot from Gopal Champa and from various places. So I thought we'd look at Ananda Vrindavan Champa in just a few sections that we could read them and then meditate on them. One time Prabhupada said, all glories to the assembled devotees includes the children. Of course, they're a little tired. So we can just pretend they're background music. So this is in the chapter, The Appearance of Lord Krishna. And Kavi Kanapur says, the time for an appearance of the Lord coincided with two internal desires of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. First, the Lord desired to descend on earth to increase the fortune of Yasoda and Nanda. Also at that time, Krishna wanted to relish the sweet mellow of Sringara Rasa while enacting his worldly pastimes. For these two reasons, the Lord appeared within the material creation on Guloka, along with his parents, friends, and other eternal associates. Another distinction of Lord Krishna's earthly pastimes is that when the eternally liberated gopis such as Shimati, Radharani, Chandravali, and others appeared, the Shrutis personified also appeared in the homes of other gopis because they had previously cultivated the desire to serve Sri Krishna's Rajagopis. The Dandakarana sages, upon hearing the Swaki above, the sweet conjugal relationship of Lord Ramchandra and Sita Devi, desired to have the same relationship with their Lord Madan Gopal. Upon attaining perfection in their sadhana, they achieved the fortunate position of appearing as gopis in Vrindavan. Yogamaya, Lord Krishna's pastime potency, who possesses unlimited abilities, appeared invisibly in Gokula to arrange this and perform other difficult tasks on behalf of the Lord. Srinanda, Yasoda, and others appeared in Brihadvan in Mahavan. Before the Lord, the Gopas, Gopis, and other eternally liberated associates appeared after the Lord. Then those who would attain perfection by sadhana, namely the Sruchicharis and Municharis, took birth in Vrindavan. Learning of Krishna's imminent appearance, the earth personified, feeling like a wife happily greeting her husband after a long separation, immersed in unlimited joy. At the time of Krishna's birth, the general mass of people tasted the inner bliss that devotees forever relish. Auspicious signs abounded everywhere. As Vishnu's Kanchal Panchanjana opens up in a clockwise fashion, similarly, auspicious sacrificial fires glowed in all directions. Pure gentle breezes brought a refreshing coolness, like devotees who satisfy and sanctify everyone with their calm, sweet, and affectionate behavior. The whole atmosphere became as completely purified as the heart of a devotee. The devotees once again found peace and prosperity in worshipping the lotus feet of Lord Hari. Fruits filled the jubilant trees. 
but the envious demons exhibited various inauspicious signs of degradation, such as rapidly aging bodies and symptoms of imminent death. The desire vines of the celestial denizens seemed to be hanging in the air as if eager to produce fruits. At that time, all the directions became felt as pure and joyful as the mind of a devotee who has received the mercy of Lord Hari. Just as gems, mantras, or medicines can remove a poisonous disease from the body of a person, the advent of the Lord relieved the world from the contamination of material existence and the sinful effect of the demons. Happiness gradually replaced the distress in everyone's heart. So the Lord only appears on the earth planet once in every day of Lord Brahma. It's not very often. And therefore the earth, who is actually the wife of the Lord, uh, Bhumi, we know that when Lord Varaha picked her up from the bottom of the ocean, he impregnated her. She's one of his consorts. And she was so happy that he was coming back to be with her again. And Krishna came, it said, to please his devotees, to please his devotees in the various rasas, specifically it's mentioned in the Vatsalya and the Madhuryas, but in all the rasas by having his sweet pastimes on the earth planet. We hear here in an Andhavrindavan Champu, and of course it's also explained in the Bhagavatam and by our Acharyas, that when Krishna appears with his eternal associates, the sadhana siddha devotees also join them. Later on in Krishna's pastimes, after Krishna lifted Govardhan Hill, the residents of Vrindavan were wondering, who is this person? What is our destination by falling in love with him? And then Krishna showed them in the Yamuna, in the same place where he later showed himself to Akura, the whole spiritual world. First he showed them the Brahman effulgence, and then he took them to the spiritual world. Yes, this is your destination. And our acharyas explain, as here Kavi Kainapur is explaining, that those of us who achieve perfection through sadhana, which is what we're all trying to do, yes? Yes? Is that what we're trying to do? So that's where we go. We go for our ultimate training. That's our, our graduate training program, right? Right now we're in our undergraduate training program. And if we complete that, then we go to the graduate training program where there we get to be with the Krishna's eternal associates. Right? Just like we hear it later on, we saw the nice dance of Krishna stealing the garments of the gopis. Right? So there are the sadhana siddha gopis who are joined by the nitya siddha gopis who teach them, yes, this is how you will attain Krishna's favor. And Krishna comes on the, why, why should he come here? I mean, really, why should he come here? Why should these higher entities come here? Just simply to bless us, simply to bless the devotees. One time Srila Prabhupada was saying how the Westerners, why would they want to go to India? I mean, materially speaking, just frankly, right? Why would you want to go to India? You stay here, you have your nice house with the running water and everything you could want, right? Well, some of you really don't have any and he said, in the same way, the demigods want to come to the earth planet. And Krishna wants to come to the earth planet. There's something special here. That Krishna wants to come and benedict his devotees. And we join him in his leelas when he comes, either in this universe or in another universe. And what is so special about this planet? 
because on this planet is the perfect place for Krishna to enact his what's called Naralila. Nara means human life, pastimes. Right? When you're on the higher planets, in one sense you have a better facility because your bodies and minds are more in sattvagu. It's a lot easier to meditate. Trying to meditate in an earth body is a little hard. Have you had that experience? Yeah? It's a little difficult. Right? The mind jumps around like a monkey. However, Krishna's pastimes in Goloka Vrindavan, above Vaikuntha, above Ayodhya, above Dwarka and Mathura, they're very sweet because they're human-like. They're very simple. Right? His eternal associates there, they feel like they're villagers, milking cows, and going to sell their butter. Just like we find in the Mahabharat, Damayanti was in love with this king Nila. You know this story? She was totally in love with Nila. She wanted to marry him. So at her swine barn, Nila came, but she was so qualified that some of the demigods wanted to marry her. I don't think there's any women on earth now that the demigods want to marry, but at least at that time. And they knew she was in love with Nila, so they disguised themselves as Nila. And there she saw four identical king Nilas. And how did she pick the right one? She noticed who was perspiring. Because the demigods don't perspire. They don't have to do laundry. Their clothes never become soiled. Right? And Sita was in the forest, I think it was Anasuya, who gave Sita some demigod garments that didn't need to be washed. Wouldn't that be nice if you didn't have to do laundry anymore? So the demigods, they don't have to do laundry. They don't sweat. It's explained in Bhagavatam. They eat only food cooked in ghee. And they digest it perfectly. Right? Here we have a hard time digesting a salad, what to speak of something cooked in ghee. But we find that when Ladia Soda is churning butter, she's what? She's perspiring. She's perspiring. It says when Krishna's with the gopis, they're, they're perspiring. They ask Krishna, please wipe off my perspiration. But of course, when he touches them, they perspire more and they say, you're not very good at this job. And Krishna's clothes get dusty, right? He's coming back from herding the cows and his clothes are full of dust. His clothes have to be washed. So they are human-like pastimes. They're not demigod pastimes. If you want the grandiose, that's Vaikuntha. That's like the spiritual version of which the heavenly planets are a reflection. But in Goloka Vrindavandam, is the perfection of which here is the reflection on earth. And so Krishna, when he wants to show those pastimes, he comes to earth. To earth, the lowest of the middle planets. And he comes right before Kali Yuga starts even, doesn't he? Come on, stop to you. He says, here is where you can get training to enter into my human-like pastimes, which are so sweet. They're so sweet. So Krishna comes to give that benediction and we can join those pastimes. That is what we are doing. We are not supposed to be engaged in some system of dogma and ritual as if this was some sort of a religion. Those of us who joined Krishna consciousness as adults, we didn't convert from our native religion to another religion. And those of you growing up in the Hare Krishna movement, it's not simply, I hope, 
that you practice this because it's your religion. Like I had one friend who decreased her practice, and she said, well, Krishna consciousness is still my faith, it's still my religion. But it's not simply the system of religion. This is what I believe in, and this is what you believe in. Gopavinda Palpa was talking about the fire of sectarianism, which occurs on the bank of the Yamuna after Krishna chastises Kaliya. It's not what this is about. What this is about is training to enter into the Lord's eternal pastimes. Getting in that mood, and that's why we study Krishna's appearance. We don't study Krishna's appearance just so we can answer some trivia questions about where did he appear, what happened, and what's the plot. I don't know where Karika was, is, but Karika and I were talking about what is the plot. You know, what's the plot? Well, first this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and someone tells the story wrong, and all of a sudden you hear people in the audience like, oh, it wasn't like that. What book did you read that in? But one very, very senior devotee that I have the benefit of associating with sometimes, she told me, Leela is not plot, it's the mood. The plot is irrelevant. And this is one reason, perhaps, why different acharyas sometimes describe plots of the same pastime in a different way. It's just the frame. It's what is the mood that's going on. What's the mood going on, which we'll read in a moment, between Mother Yasoda and Krishna? Between Devaki and Krishna? One of my friends the other day on Balaram's appearance day started to talk about Devaki and how Devaki feels about Lord Balaram. I never thought about that before. Balaram had been in Devaki's womb, yes? And then he had left. She must have had a lot of affection for him. When she saw him later when he came to Mathura, he must have been full with affection for him. But yet he wasn't known as her son, huh? He's known as Rahini's son. What kind of relationship does Devaki have with Balaram? This is what's fascinating. This is what Krishna is showing us. And he's trying to entice us. He's trying to captivate us. Come, enter into my pastimes. Whatever aspect captivates us, perhaps we're captivated by Mother Yasoda Nandamaj, or maybe by uh, Radha and Lalita and Vishaka, Kavikanpur uh, mentions Kandravali, all the gopis or the cowherd boys or the cows, or some aspect of Krishna's pastime that just touches our hearts and we say, I want to go there. And we know how to do that. We do that in this world, right? There was a time I was traveling regularly between New Zealand and Hawaii. And I remember once when I was in Honolulu at the airport, there were some people going to New Zealand. I said, why are you going from Hawaii to New Zealand? They said, oh, it's so beautiful there. I said, actually, it's more beautiful in Hawaii. <laughs> but they had heard like that. Oh, it's a beautiful place. So they become captivated and they go there. Oh, let me see this beautiful place. Just like our islands are full of tourists that become captivated, right? Let me go to Hawaii and there I will enjoy. Does that work? Those of us who live here? No. But anyway, they become captivated. So we should become captivated by Krishna's pastimes. Let me enter into these very sweet, human-like pastimes. And to do that, it is not simply going through our practices externally. They are essential. If we don't go through the external practices, then we are sahajiyas who just say, oh, I'm just going to love Krishna. Like I met one, one woman sometime many years ago, and I said, do you chant? Oh, I'm always chanting in my mind. 
you know, I just take everything cheaply. I like, I like to give this example of a woman I met in Boston many years ago at a Sunday feast. And she said, well, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I said, well, that's very nice. That's very nice. I said, if you hadn't told me that, and I looked at your life, how would I know? She said, well, you wouldn't. It's all just in my heart. So that's useless. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, I love Krishna in my heart. Do you do anything to show you love Krishna? No. Do you spend any time with him every day? No. Do you sit down and, and, and meditate on his name and form the qualities of pastors? No. Do you offer him your food? No. So that's useless. So one should actually do those things, but not do those things as a ritual. Do those things with the mood of being attracted to these very sweet human-like pastimes. And we should also be careful. And this is a really, how do I say, subtle and difficult point. That although generally we want to have a life in the mode of goodness, no meat eating, no intoxication, no illicit sex, and no gambling, we shouldn't be attached to the mode of goodness either. Otherwise, then how are we going to enter into the human-like pastimes? To become just attached to the mode of goodness, that's demigods. That's the, the regal aspect. But you know, Krishna says to one of the gopis, oh, I'll, I'll meet you at noon, and he doesn't show up. You know that, right? And he says to his mother, I, I didn't eat any dirt, when he did. That's human-like pastimes. People really in Satvagun, they don't do that. Do they do that? Do people in, in Satvagun do that? No, they don't. They're just like... I always tell absolutely the truth. But that's not the mood there. That's not the mood. So we want to become attracted to that mood. Become attracted to that mood. And then next time we can go. We can be there. We can be the persons that the great poets will be writing about in their books. Like we're reading now about these Sadhana Siddha devotees who are entering. And that can be said about us. And then we might say, like I say almost every day, uh, not me. You know, him and him and her and her and her, but not me. Because somehow it's a strange thing that as one goes on in Sadhana Bhakti, one feels less and less qualified. Do any of you have this experience? It's a very strange experience, you know? When you first read the Shastra and you meet the devotees and you chant Hare Krishna, you think, I am so spiritual. I mean, I remember first reading the Bhagavad Gita and I said, oh, wow, I'm in, I'm in the mode of goodness on this one and the mode of goodness on this one. And, well, I have all these qualities Krishna describes. Look at that. I must be very dear to Krishna. Just another week or two, you know, I'm going to be an enlightened being. And, and somehow the more I chant Hare Krishna, the more I look at my heart and go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another aspect of the sweetness of entering into Krishna's pastimes. When Gopal Kumar was in the spiritual world in Dwarka, and Uddhava Narada Muni said, if you want to go to Goloka, you have to first go back to the earth planet. Because only there are you going to develop humility. And humility and prema are together. Now, we shouldn't develop humility because we actually are so fallen in the sense that we're eating at McDonald's. It shouldn't be like that. <laughs> but without this deep humility, frame it is impossible. And this is a good place for humility, isn't it? 
Isn't this a good place for humility? The Earth planet and Kali Yuga, what do you say, huh? So is it, I mean, can you go like a whole day without just saying, oh, boy, I messed up again. And again, and again, and again. Right? Like I tell the grandkids, okay, whatever, even if you're upset, don't raise your voice, you know? And then one of them said to me the other day, but Grandma, you just raised your voice. Right? And like, oh, yeah, I messed up again, I'm sorry. So to do our, our sadhana, but with a total sense of dependence on the mercy of the Eternals. A total sense of dependence, that I have no fault. My qualification isn't how many rounds I chant, it isn't how strict I am in my eating and how strict I am in what, that's not my qualification. My qualification is my sense of dependence. And this, my dear friends, is the perfect place and it's the perfect time. Because we have the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So perfect place, perfect time. And this life, my dear friends, is very short. Have you noticed that also? Any of you who are past 50? You know, you hit 50 and you go, whoops, I've already passed probably more than the halfway mark on my journey. <laughs> You know, and you start inching forward and you start, it's like when, when you're on the trains in Europe, they have signs, every stop, what stop you're on and where's the last stop, you know, and if you have the schedule, you're getting closer and closer. <laughs> it's very short. So many of my friends have already gone on. So very short, we don't have to stay here very long with all the austerities of Kali Yuga. As one of my friends who's already passed on said, time off for good behavior. Not a very long time to do some tapasya here. And then that's it. By Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mercy, we get to enter. So I wanted to read a little bit more about Mother Yasoda particularly. So as we read before, we heard before, so Mother Yasoda was so exhausted from childbirth, she didn't know what child she had given to. Now that's pretty amazing. Any of you who've had babies or been around somebody who had a baby, uh, the first thing you notice after you give birth is whether you've had a boy or a girl, and if you had twins or singleton, I mean, you would not notice. It, you, you just wouldn't not notice, I mean, unless you were drugged up or something. So this is definitely some action of yoga maya that Mother Yasoda was, went to sleep, and when she woke up, oh, here's one little boy. So Mother Yasoda awoke amidst the joyous chattering of the older gopis. Leaning over the bed, she admired her gorgeous son. But upon noticing her own reflection on Krishna's body, she imagined it to be another woman. Thinking that a witch had assumed her form to kidnap Krishna, Yasoda became bewildered and yelled, Get out of here! You go away! Spontaneously, she cried out to Nisingadev to protect her precious son. Beholding Krishna's tender face, Yasoda showered tears of affection that looked like an offering of a pearl necklace. Now, here we find one of the distinguishing features of the Vatsalya Ras. In the Vatsalya Ras, the devotees do not see Krishna as their shelter. They see Lord Narayan or Nisingadev as their shelter. And if, you, if you meet devotees now who start to awaken to this mood of Vatsalya Bhav, this is one of the first things that they start to notice. 
that they can't see, they can't pray to Krishna like that as a shelter. They can't go to Krishna as a shelter because he's just a little boy. You say, you have a problem, just pray. They say, how do I pray to Krishna? He's a little boy. He's coming to me for shelter. So this is, it's a very special mood. And Mother Yasoda, before Krishna goes out to the forest, she tells him, you know, pray the Lord to sing a day and he'll protect you against the demons. Right? And they're always thinking, oh, because we're such great devotees of Narayana, therefore our boy is being protected. So this again is this very sweet, human-like pastimes, where they don't recognize at all that Krishna is the Supreme Lord. Right? After Krishna swallows the other forest fire and all the coward boys and the cows are right back in Vandiravan, the coward boys say, oh, maybe Krishna's a demigod. They say, well, Krishna's a demigod, maybe we're demigods. Right? And even when Krishna displays the opulence of God, you know, Mother Yasoda sees the universal form in his mouth, she still thinks, oh, I have to take care of my little boy. Whereas when Arjuna sees the universal form, he thinks, oh, I, I've been too friendly with Krishna. I've been too intimate with Krishna. So when they see something frightening, they pray to Lord Narayan. They pray to the Singhadev. Now here's some description of how Mother Yasoda sees the form of Krishna. Yasoda saw Krishna's body as a mound of dark blue musk, softer than the butter churned from the milk ocean. I wonder what kind of butter gets churned from the milk ocean. Overflowing with nectar, his charming body appeared like the foam of milk, but being dark blue in color, it seemed the foam was full of musk juice. Admiring the supremely delicate form of her son, Yasoda worried about his safety and feared the touch of her body might hurt his tender body. And this is a recurring theme, that the devotees are always afraid that Krishna's tender body is going to get injured. And how interesting, Krishna is the strongest, huh? He's the strongest, he's, he's the super father, <laughs> the superman, Ajahn Purana Purusham, protecting everyone, but he's very tender and very soft. You know, when we think of, a, of an uber man, we think of somebody with, you know, this big Mr. Universe muscles and what do they call Superman? The man of steel, right? That's what we, we think of a Superman, an uberman, steel. But Krishna's not like that. He's the supreme male, but he's so soft and, and delicate. Right? If you just touch his skin, it changes color. And, and if the young gopis are always worried about Krishna's lotus feet. On the, on the path. So Mother Soda is also worrying like this. Says she saw her child's body as made of dazzling blue sapphires. His mouth resembled a red bimba fruit and his hands and feet looked like exquisite rubies. Krishna's nails shone like precious gems. In this way, Soda thought her child was completely made of jewels. Then she perceived that his naturally reddish lips looked like panduka flowers. His hands and feet resembled java flowers. His nails looked like malika flowers. Yasoda then thought, Krishna's whole body seems to be made of blue lotus flowers. He does not appear to be my son at all. The beautiful, soft, curly hairs on the right side of Krishna's chest resembled the tender stems of a lotus. Seeing the mark of Srivats on his chest, Yasoda thought it was breast milk that had previously spilled out of his mouth. She tried unsuccessfully to remove these milk stains which the edge of her cloth 
Struck with wonder, Yasoda thought this must be the sign of a great personality. Observing the sign of Lakshmi on the left side of Krishna's chest, Yasoda thought a small yellow bird had made a nest amidst the leaves of the tamal tree. Could this be a streak of lightning resting on a rain cloud? Or could it be the golden streaks marking a black gold testing stone? Actually, that's exactly the way Lord Shiva describes the Srivatsama in the Bhagavatam. He said that the golden line on the Lord's chest is like if you ever uh, go to India and you want to send any gold, they have a dark stone and they'll take your gold and they'll rub it on the stone. And by seeing the color, they can tell, oh, it's 12 carats, 14 carats, 18 carats, or it's just junk. <laughs> or it's 22, whatever. So Krishna's chest looks like this gold testing stone with this Srivatsa. Krishna's delicate leaf-like hands and feet glowing pink like the rising sun look like the clusters of lotus flowers floating in the dream. Sometimes Yusoda saw the curly dark blue locks of baby Krishna as a swarm of bumblebees surrounding his face. Intoxicated from drinking too much honey nectar, the bees just hovered in the sky. His thick, beautiful blue hair appeared like the dark night. The two lotus eyes of Krishna looked like a pair of blue lotus buds. His cheeks resembled two huge bubbles floating in a lake of liquefied blue sapphires. Krishna's attractive ears looked like a pair of fresh, unfurled leaves growing on a blue creeper. Of course, we find that in the Madhurya Kadambani, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur says, My dear Lord, now that I see you, I'm so sorry for all the analogies and metaphors I used to describe you. I, it was an offense to describe your ears like unfolding leaves, to describe your eyes like wagtail birds, to describe your body like jewels or like flowers. This is all an offense because your beauty, your form is indescribable and incomparable. So Mother Yusuf is looking at this form of Krishna. Right? The ordinary mother looks at her baby and is fascinated by her baby. So I like to tell the story. I was in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, giving the class, and there was a mother there with her first child. The child was about one month old. And the whole class, she was looking at the baby, especially the baby's toes. For the whole, whatever it was, half an hour of the class, she was just looking at the baby's toes. And I thought, this baby's one month old. The mother has seen the child's toes many times. You know, but because it was her child, she was so fascinated. So we become fascinated by someone in this world, yes? We can become fascinated even by a little gecko. I have a lot of geckos in my room. In the morning, they wake up to get the sun. And they, one of them lives in my bookcase with the Bhagavatams. I hope he's getting some benefit and he picks up his little head. He's, he's, he's charming. And that's one little jiva. One little jiva. Imagine to see the source of all life. As Govinda Prabhu started out his, his talk, the essence of everything there as a little baby. If we can be so fascinated by the toes of, of one little baby or the little eyes of how how fascinating would it be? One could just stare at Krishna's little ears forever. One could just stare at Krishna's little toes forever. Right? The mark of, of Srivas or his curling hair and just become absorbed in that. And the devotees become so absorbed in seeing Krishna's form that even if they blink it, they, they I mean, I don't even notice that I'm blinking, right? but they, they notice it. Oh, oh it, it stopped my samadhi, my meditation. 
So again, these descriptions of Krishna's form, Krishna's pastimes, Krishna's relationships, they're there to entice us. I want to see him. I want to see him. I want to see him. Mahibharata gave the example of Putin, right? Being so anxious for Krishna. Srila Prabhupada likes to tell the story of a thief. You all know the story? So there was some thief, and as he was walking around his village, he heard, Prabhupada said he heard a professional reciter, not even like a great devotee reciter, just some materialistic person reciting the Bhagavatam. And when this person was reading the Bhagavatam, he was describing Krishna's jewels. How Krishna wears the Kastuba jewels, and he wears his pearls, and writing as his makara earrings and all these valuable jewels and they're made of chintamani stone and the thief was like well I want to find him and rob him <laughs> and many years ago I was in our, our Juhu temple and some devotees were talking about how they joined the movement and this one devotee Haridas had been a professional thief since childhood he was an orphan, grew up on the streets and he lived by stealing and one time in prison he found a Back to Godhead magazine. On the back cover was a picture, photograph of Srila Prabhupada wearing a nice watch. And he looked at that picture and he said, when I get out of jail, I'm going to find this man and steal his watch. That was how he became a devotee. <laughs> Should I tell you that? The rest of that story? <laughs> All right, after I finish the other thief story, I'll go back to it. So this thief, he heard his professional reciter, and he thought, I want to go to Vrindavan and find this Christian and steal his jewels. And he became consumed by this thought. Just like we heard about today, how Shishupal was consumed by envy, right? How Kamsa was consumed by fear. So he went to Vrindavan, he's like, where's Krishna, where's Krishna, I want to steal his jewels. And Krishna was attracted by the intensity of the emotion. You really want to see me, and there he was. And when the thief saw Krishna, he became enchanted. He became enchanted. But still, he said to him, uh, can I have your jewels? And baby Krishna said, I have to ask my mommy. She's the one who decorated me. If I give you my jewels without her permission, she might be angry. And the thief fell so much in love with Krishna that his desire to steal was dissipated and he entered into Krishna Prema. To get back to our Haridas, after he got out of jail, he did go to the Juhu temple, which at that time was a falling apart, rat-infested shack. And the other devotees who lived there considered that living there was a huge austerity, but to Haridas it was the royal palace, because he just lived on the sidewalk his whole life. And uh, they engaged him in like scrubbing pots and things like that. And one of the Vishaka taught him how to chant. He kept up his stealing habit for about two years, you know, they'd sent him out to buy things for the deities, and he'd come back with more than they'd given him money for. How did you get that? Oh, I started saying, you shouldn't steal anymore, but it took him two years to give up the money. I don't have time to tell the whole story about him, but, but when Srila Prabhupada was coming to a temple very close to Juhu, and he heard about it, he said, I want to go see Srila Prabhupada. And the temple president said, no, we need you here, you know, and he finally begged and begged, he said, all right. So he went there, and when he, he, when he saw Srila Prabhupada, he offered his obeisances, and Prabhupada said, so? Why have you come? And he said, Prabhupada, I came to steal your watch. And Prabhupada did this, took off his watch, and said, here, 
He said, no, no, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> and a lot of wonderful stories of Prabhupada uh, with Harigan. Very, very wonderful stories. But anyway, it was the intensity of the emotion. This thief who became attracted to Krishna's jewels, it was this intensity of the emotion. So that is what we want. The purpose of our chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, of our chanting the Gayatri mantra, of our worshiping the deity, of our serving the devotees, of our offering our food, of our doing the Abhishek we're about to do, of all of our kirtan, of all of our bhajan, of taking care of the cows, of cleaning the house, of whatever we're doing. Everything that we're doing, the purpose is to develop this intense emotion and this intense desire and this intense attraction to enter into Krishna's pastimes. And when that is developed, then we will be allowed in by the mercy of our acharyas. Then they will say, yes, this is a person who can enter into Krishna's lila. And then these stories we read about Krishna's pastimes, you know what? We'll be in them too. We won't just be reading about the stories, we'll be in the stories. And when we're in the stories, as they are unfolding, they will be full of surprise and adventure. It won't be like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember when I was in Hawaii on the Earth Planet in my last life, they talked about how that story ended. But it'll be a constantly fresh and ever-increasing adventure. So that is what we are being invited to join. And particularly on days like today, um, Krishna Janmashtami, and we think about Somewhere now, Krishna is appearing in some universe, and he's saying, you want to come? Would you like to come? Or do you want to keep taking birth again and again and again in different material bodies, trying to taste this and that variety of the same thing? Thank you very much. Shri Krishna Janmashtami.